This is the TRA Channel Podcast. Watch the opportunity with Trevor Clark, Mark Isles, and Tim Dillon. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the TRA Channel Podcast. Watch the opportunity. My name is Trevor Clark, and joining me today, as usual, is Tim Dillon and Mark Isles. Gentlemen, hello. Hey, Trevor. Hey, Tim. Morning, Mark. Morning, too, Sydney. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Everyone's here. Um, and we're going to have a chat today uh, about uh, 2022, um, a little bit look forward. We're not a, we're not one of those analyst firms that comes out with uh, predictions or stuff like that. We kind of tend to think that, well, that's kind of nice for uh, for the headlines and, you know, a couple of journo grabs and that sort of stuff. It's, 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 it's really just not our thing, is it? I don't know. Oh, Maybe it's just me. To be fair, there's the distinct lack of interest in writing them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've never really seen anyone. I mean, I, I do know that it does help. Um, the forward-looking stuff certainly helps with vision setting and trying to plan out a future roadmap and so forth for, for some organisations. So I do see some value in it, but it's just not something yeah. we've really done. If you're leaving it till December to wait for the predictions come out to think about 2022, you're probably a bit late, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. It's a very good point. Um, so, but anyway, I figured we, we'll have a chat about what we think for the channel in 2022 um, and, you know, what the what the opportunities look like. I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off if that's all right, because obviously yeah. I'm keen keen to, to do it since I chose the topic. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really do think that um, that acquisition conversation, I know our last podcast, uh, Mark, which you had with, with the guys at ARN and Latimer Partners, yeah. uh, was very much heavily in that regard. I just see there continuing to be some pretty robust activity in the in the M&A space, particularly amongst channel partners. Those who have particular specialized skills and, and or have a a regional footprint that is uh, that is desired. I think those two areas in particular for me. Um, don't know about you guys, thoughts on that? Um, yeah, still looking, you know, I think we're at 153 deals, I think, this year, uh, which is, you know, by far the most we've seen. And we're not done yet. You know, there's three deals that I personally know are going to close probably this side of Christmas on top of that. So still seeing the continued, as you said, some of it around skills and around some of those kind of what I'd call probably semi-emerging or sort of already emerged, but hatching maybe, which could yep. perhaps make up, make up the term hatching. Um, so not truly emerging in the sense, but also not potentially mainstream, seeing some pickups there, but also seeing people just shopping for uh, for good companies with strong profit uh, as part yeah. of mashups uh, with people still looking to potentially list on the ASX. Although that market's a little fickle at the moment, but still seeing a fair bit of activity in that space too. But yeah, I can't can't see it quietening down anytime soon. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, TD, what about you? What do you see happening next year? Oh, man, it's a mix, mix of stuff. I think immediate... Ah, oh, it's it's a bit more of same same, slightly different. Um, Security is not going to disappear. Uh, that's still a pain in the backside to many organisations. We all know that you know you're wrong if you think you haven't been um, attacked. Uh, so I, th- I think security is just going to be increasingly problematic, um, and more organisations are going to need to spend more time on educating. Uh, the executive and the board levels, because there's still, from discussions I've been having, a surprising amount of our board doesn't get it. Mm. And uh, that in itself is troubling, particularly if you're a director uh, and your liabilities 
they're in, particularly too, is the the Privacy Acts are changing again. So you know, there's additional requirements now. So I think that's one area. Um, I'd like to think that private 5G networks are going to be a thing. There's more and more activity starting to happen. And then the thing for me that I really am quite excited about, and, and I don't normally get excited about cloud, as you know, but um, AWS has launched its own private 5G solution. And I think that's super clever because a lot of companies would potentially like to look at a private 5G network for certain use cases, but are put off by the, the network complexity and thinking, well, you know, I've got to go to a traditional vendor and that's time complex involved. You know, it takes forever to get provision. The box-like solution that AWS has come out with I actually think is pretty cool. So I think that's something that I'd like to see would come to fruition throughout next year, depending some spectrum has already been made available. Obviously, more would need to be become available for those private networks. But it's an interesting one because then you're talking about you know, you can have a managed services play, you can have an integration play, you can have a um, security play. There's, it, you know, it's a true SD-WAN, it's a software-defined network solution. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff for me that I get quite excited about when I think about private 5G in, in a business context and what can go through partners and where the opportunities lie for that one. So yeah. that's that's uh, another one for me. And the, and the last one, and again, as I said, same, same, but possibly slightly different, is certain sectors, you know, like, for example, the utility sector, you know, companies that operate in that are increasingly being uh, required to have real-time data integration into, for example, Sydney Waters systems and solutions and so forth. So I think more around the application space. So yeah, that's that's probably three of the things that I'm I'm kind of contemplating for 2022. Yeah, very interesting. I I, I think we could probably dive into each one of those topics and for a whole episode by itself. I was going to start mentioning security. I, I actually think on the security piece, um, uh, I, I start to see that critical infrastructure conversations start yep. to have more of an impact. Um, yeah. Addressing ransomware in particular and, and how you get <laughs> back to you know, make sure you've got kind of an air gap between you know being able to get back to actually operating your business. Um, yeah, but, but also like the, the ransomware one's interesting, right? Because if you read, there's been sustained commentary from the insurers mm. for probably almost the last 12 months about the fact that yeah, your premiums are going to go up and we're reducing what's covered. So, for mm. example, now, if, if you're unpatched on, on one single thing, and it could have been a patch that came out yesterday, and you're breached and you have a loss, it's probably highly likely that you're no longer covered under your policy. So your premiums have gone up, yeah. the chances of getting a payment are dropping, and all the insurers are going, crap, this is getting really expensive for us. Yeah. So there's got to be some sort of crunch coming there as well uh, over the next six or 12 months in terms of what happens on that policy and insurance side. But mm. yeah, it's it's kind of a, a really yeah, fascinating one to watch. Interesting. I was chatting to a, a bunch of partners on that and exactly the same feedback. And the rough math at the moment is the premiums are doubling and the cover is halving. Yeah. Mm. That's mm -hmm. kind of roughly where the equation seems to be. Shrinkage. Right yeah, it's just based on claims and risk. And, and I agree, the, the owner's terms of some of the contracts, almost impossible to know whether you're covered, especially in the, uh, you yeah. know, if you're a managed, managed service provider, you're taking cover to cover your clients. 
you've got a kind of a two-step process there. So the risk of that, yep. the insurers aren't really liking. So it's becoming quite problematic. Yeah, and, and in that scenario, it's isn't it super lucky that you can just put everything in the cloud and trust your cloud provider to be secure? <laughs> on, on, a, on a side note to that, an adjacent area, I do think there's we're going to have a bigger conversation around data trusts um, mm. and commercial and government-owned data trusts, and that, and that ties into that privacy conversation for it too, um, you know, being able to share that, because you've got obviously that that point of protect and defend and, you know, make sure it doesn't get leaked and so forth or, or <clears throat> encrypted by someone else. Um, to that other, the other side of that story is opening things up further so that we continue to have that, you know, that open innovation conversation with the data that we've got access to and making sure, you know, there's a, there's a proper stewardship of that data um, in a very trusted environment. So it's, yeah, it's going to be a lot more work there, but I, I, I do think a lot of channel partners need to get beyond just doing, you know, the, the vanilla managed security services, um, that a lot of them do at the moment because they're, they're going to find themselves in trouble if they, um, if they, yeah. uh, are not able to provide something that's a little bit more valuable through because as, so as we just, just on that with managed service providers and security, I, I don't know if you guys saw, and I'm trying to desperately remember who posted on LinkedIn. So apologies for whoever posted it because I can't recall, but it was one of the cybersecurity vendors. They had a really interesting point. You know, um, there's so much activity around we've been breached, let's remediate and all, all those sort of things. But actually having a, a playbook around, okay, there's a breach in process right now. How do we attack while that's going on? And actually almost having an offensive capability that you assume you're going to be breached. Okay, what is our playbook now for the second we see that breach coming in to go back and hit really hard uh, against uh, any of the, the threat actors? And I, I thought that was an – I've not seen that publicly spoken of before as well. I thought that was an interesting take. just can't mm. remember who it was. Mm, good point. All right, let's, let's move on, though. Mm. Um, Mr. Isles, what, what have you got for next year? Well, interestingly, my number one, we really should have talked before this podcast, <laughs> but my, my number one was security. Isn't it strange? You know, which, even though it's emerging tech, I like to think actually, if, you know, with a channel lens, it's actually emerging opportunity. Now, if I look at emerging opportunity, I don't think anything really surpasses security at the moment. Um, you know, so all the analysis that we've done, you know, all the surveys that we do out there with customers, CIOs, we talk to the partners we talk to, that opportunity is just growing and growing and growing. So I like it. It's kind of more chips on the table. Uh, and the other one, which is, you know, like I said, not necessarily emerging tech, but there are certainly a lot of emerging vendors around it. Is it anything to do with data, data fabrics, data lakes? Yeah. We think it's done. It's nowhere near done. Um, you know, we, we've barely scratched the surface of that. So I, I just think, you know, any partner at the moment that's that's not thinking about their role in data, as much as your role can be anything from analytics at the high end to crunching large amounts of volumes of data for AI processing or just looking at fabrics and actually extracting value from data, which we've done research on recently. And, you know, as, as we know, customers, so they kind of know they've got a lot of data. You know, every customer knows they've got data and they need to extract more value from it. Very few are actually doing it well and they need help. Yeah. And the third one, just to kind of bolt into that, I still like the low-code SaaS economy. So the, the one that I have slightly differently here, that application story that's increasingly a SaaS slash, you know, retire, replace, you know, that conversation is happening at pace. Uh, and I think you bolt, you bolt a low-code capability into that to be able to quickly kind of do customizations on top of SaaS platforms. So, you know, take that 80-20 rule. Do I really want to build another version of this custom business application that I developed 20 years ago or a partner developed for me? 
can I get 80% of what I want from SaaS and then 20% from low-code bolt-ons? That story I quite like. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. I, um, I, in that same vein, I think I'll just add mine, mine as, as we keep going, guys. I, I think that I'm in total agreement on the security side of things. I do think um, in many ways, though, for for even for security companies themselves, they'll need to be a lot more involved in the, the full end-to-end -end solution conversation of that. Because if you start to think about that 5G story that Tim was talking about, you throw in the as-a-service infrastructure offerings that are really starting to flood the market now and what that means potentially for growing out edge computing. Yep. And then you you see that, that as you mentioned, that, that applications focus. Edge, for example, needs to have an applications focus now rather than just on you know iot devices or connecting stuff and so forth and you throw the data bit into that it's it's kind of you start to see it all to to add real value to um customers and to potentially get that margin that sits around it you, you, that that applications that business focused conversation will start to happen and i do see a lot of edge starting to come through some of that maturity around you know um, the types of use cases and long story short that means we're going to have to start to see um, places where you can find those solutions. It's going to be much more packaged. You're going to start to see people coming out with, okay, we do smart car parks end to end. We do, you know, we connect, um, we do smart city stuff that involves A, B, C, D, E, and it's all end to end. We've done it. It's not, you know, piece by piece, let's pull everything together, but it started to be a lot more packaged and, and, and refined in that regards. And that'll include all those bits and pieces. Um, I do think there's also still going to be a, a very big focus on winning the ISVs across um, and and trying to get them onto different platforms, but it'll start to expand out to edge to core applications as well, not just those born in the cloud or lifting and shifting them to the cloud. It'll start to ex expand across that as well. Um, there was something else I had. Um, uh, I think it's 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 probably already done, but I think we'll start to see a little bit more around uh, a, sort of a, a renaissance around um, office design uh, and workspace design just as a result of the question of how many people are going to go back to the office or how many not go back to the office. Now, this is an age-specific-wide conversation, and all of these are. Um, and I think you'll start to see you know, a, a relook at what it means to have uh, you know, a really great spaces for people to work from uh, again just as as a as a result of the yeah. the scaling question of how many people come back and forward and tech's going to play a big role in that um so um whether that's you know you start to rent out your space and share that space or you know you start to make the space a little bit more you know, you have a lot more av and a lot more you know cool stuff that that's happening in the office itself there'll be a lot of those sort of questions coming through a lot more links into multi multiple areas um, this Sorry, one, I, I got a question for you on that though, right? Yeah, um, and, and it's related. What, what do you guys think? Do you, do you think we're going to have this great resignation that everybody's sort of posting on LinkedIn about and all that sort of good stuff? Do you reckon it's going to happen? <laughs> so there's a, there's a subreddit anti, um, yeah. <laughs> anti if you've seen it. Um, no, it's, it's quite it's quite interesting to see it. It's it's uh, um, in Japan and North Asia, absolutely not. There is going to be nothing of the sort of that nature. Um, yeah, there's 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 always people who will take awareness of it, but no, um, it it really really does depend on the conditions and the expectations of uh, you know and local living conditions and so forth um, that will play a big role. 
the, the protections that some countries have versus what's happening in predominantly an American context um, is very, very different. Um, I do think you'll you'll have um, workers start to, particularly in lower paying um, jobs, you know, your, your, your retail jobs, your, your food and bev, that'll start to get impacted a little bit, you know, in hospitality. But no, once, once, uh, once travel and tourism starts to pick up again, um, as long as we get over Omicron, um, you'll see people start to go back to work for sure. Um, there's, there's a lot of people who, who want jobs and have been suffering for you know, quite a lot of time in some countries. So um, I don't see it, not in the Asia-Pacific region, maybe in Oz a little bit. Yeah, we're definitely seeing it in, in, in Australia and New Zealand, particularly Australia mm -hmm. actually out of those two. Uh, the attrition rate for, for most tech organisations, both vendors and kind of partners is off the charts and actually including customers as well. And it's either, it's either that people are just leaving or you're just having to pay them significantly more. Uh, and again, yeah. some, of, some, of that's, some of that's lack of feedback, but certainly the attrition rate, the attrition rate is atrocious at the moment. Okay, uh, so but here's my thing. Do, do you reckon those ones in Oz, right, uh, again, right, that's it, I'm done and dusted, I'm not working anymore? Because that's half, no, it's not fair. Some of the rhetoric around great resignation is I'm going to, you know, semi-retire and live some sort of utopian lifestyle, and which would be great, but I don't know about you, but... Westpac has both my testicles in a drawer, right? I'm not going anywhere, even even if we stop, if, if we close TRA tomorrow, I'm going to work somewhere, right? You know, so yes, there's pressure on salaries. Like I spoke to a CEO yesterday that said three people have left. Of, of the three that left in the last three months, the, the lowest salary increase was 40% over what they were being paid, and they were pretty well paid. Uh, in the in their their employment, right? So yeah, there's absolutely pressure amongst tech folks to be recruited and move somewhere else. But I don't know whether that's related to the whole we've worked from home and now we're not going back to work in an office ever again. And you know, I, I just think drawing a line between the two doesn't necessarily fit. And then you've got the issue of well, plenty of companies are actually going to have some sort of hybrid work environment where they will have a good work-life balance. They have taken care of their employees. They're really trying to enable them to work to the best of their abilities wherever they are. And if you're well comped and looked after, are you going to move? I, I don't know. I'm just struggling with trying to determine whether this is yeah. going to happen. I mean, you've got different. I mean, you've got different waves of that from what I'm seeing. One is people just job hopping. You know, they they would have left yep. last year, but they didn't because of COVID, and it's just pent yeah. up demand. So you've got low attrition in the previous twelve months. You're going to get you're going to get double bubble on that in the next twelve. Definitely seeing some of that. Seeing some people pushing for more salary, frankly, because they just can because their skills are in yep. short supply. You know, we're you know of our rough numbers, right? We're probably three hundred thousand people short in the tech industry. Uh, over the next, you know, between now and 2024. So you go, that's just, you know, demand exceeds supply. You know, you can't kind of beat the the economics 101 factor that's involved in that. And then what, then I do see increasingly people, you know, almost every company's going to have to have a hybrid workforce. Right? Pretty much everyone does now anyway, but we're not coming back. And for those people moving to the regions, you know, we've done a, a bit of work recently, you know, around regional stuff. Yeah. What are the other job opportunities they can work in the region for somebody that's probably based in metro or yeah. international or global? Um, but yeah. actually, what about job opportunities in regional? If I want to be in Orange or Tamworth or Ballarat, or yeah. are there any actual opportunities in Ballarat? I think that changing employment demographic is the other component. People have moved. Their jobs haven't. They just moved. Uh, and I think that that might be another interesting wave. And, and the one that's coming in that we're seeing now is actually how do we attract more people that are probably coming out of hospitality and other industries and lower paid industries into tech? 
you know, if we can skill them up fast enough, you know, we, we need that kind of younger, uh, you know, perhaps less experienced and frankly, more cost-effective workforce, you know, to begin at the beginning, so to speak. Uh, there's a, a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of initiatives and programs in that space. And some of that, again, mm. that we still don't have, um, you know, overseas talent easily available through visas. And that's probably not going to change until mid-2022. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I didn't want to hijack the whole thing, but I just... Yeah, kind of cool. that whole regional move, um, you know, that that sea change, tree change sort of thing that's happening, mm. particularly particularly in Australia. It's it's also happening in North Asia as well. Where you do start to see people buying properties out in the countryside and you know doing the remote thing. I do think that it, that will have a flow on effect for um, small businesses being set up and also additional um, requirements or just economic activity that's there, which may help stimulate some of that digitization you see in the regional areas and the infrastructure that's put in place to support it. So it's, there's definitely there's definitely opportunity around that. I wouldn't say it's hugely revenue driven, but if you're already there, I'd suggest some of the regional players will, will have a, a pretty good go of things with some of the small businesses that are, that are being supported by those people moving, mm. that new demographic moving into their regions. Um, guys, that's it for now. Um, I know there's a bunch of other stuff we could probably talk about, but let's call it a day there um, for 2022. Um, thanks very much for sharing your thoughts. Um, it's been a good year. Um, podcast next year, we'll think up some new topics. And if anyone's got any, by all means, do drop us a note. Um, it's been good to talk to you, and thanks very much for listening. Gents, have a great day. Talk to you soon. Cheers, Jason. Thanks, Tara. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. This was the TRA Channel Podcast. Watch the opportunity. Looking forward to 2022. Have a great time and enjoy your festive season. All the best.